When we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We are, we are here in our greatest thing ever said, a conversation, our sermon series. Our, our world has been marked with some amazing moments, and often those amazing, moment, amazing moments were preceded by incredible speeches, speeches that inspired, motivated, moved people to go from here to there, got people who were uh, normally not unified, unified. And uh, in all of those, we believe that there's one speech that stands in paramount above all of them, and it was the first message Jesus ever preached. And so we're calling it the greatest thing ever said. We have two more weeks, uh, and I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about today. Today, I believe, is um, maybe one of the most important things he ever said in the middle of the most important things he ever said. Um, before we get into that, there's two things that I want to make sure all of you are aware of, that you take advantage of, that you join in on, that you invite about. Uh, we have a lot happening in the next two weeks. Um, two weekends from now um, is the Super Bowl. And you may not be a football person, and that's totally okay, but we make it a fun event here for the Super Bowl weekend. Um, it is what we call Super Bowl weekend, and so we do a lot of fun. We have a special message prepared uh, that we want you to wear your colors from wherever you're home. We have people from all over the country and the world, so even if you're not a football person, but you're baseball or soccer or Man United or whatever, rep your team, rep your colors. There's going to be upgrades. There's going to be fun. There's going to be a great message. Um, this is also would be a great opportunity for you to invite somebody who doesn't normally come to church. Lots of free stuff, lots of fun, and I believe it'll be practical and something that uh, will be inspiring. So we'd love for you to bring somebody and, and rep your colors, uh, no matter who they are. It's, it's a lot of fun. That is in two weeks on Sunday. The weekend before, on Friday and Saturday, the 10th and the 11th, we are having another marriage conference. Uh, there was a seat drop on the seat when you came in. If you're online, that probably wasn't on your chair. That would be really cool if it was. Um, we're still working on that. Uh, but uh, this is an incredible. Jimmy Evans does some of the best ministry for marriage uh, there is. If you are married, you, I, I would just tell you, you owe it to yourself, your marriage to invest. If it's a healthy marriage, it'll be, get better and stronger. If it's kind of average, there's some things you want. It's going to give you tools. It's going to inspire you. If things are not going well, you need to be here. If you are not married, but you want to be in a healthy marriage someday, uh, this would be a great conference to come to. So really, it's for everybody. We already have several registrations. There's the, uh, open spots, but um, this XO conference is going to be incredible. It's just Friday night, Saturday. Child care is available. Um, and uh, man, I, as a pastor, I would love every married couple to register. I know not all of you can, but um, gosh, if you're going to feel like you missed it if you weren't here. Um, kind of like the volunteer conference, the volleys we had last night. If you weren't here, you missed it. And so just want you guys to know that. Um, so in two weekends, we got a lot happening. We got the marriage conference, Super Bowl weekend. Uh, wear your colors. I will definitely be preaching. There's one of two jerseys I'll be wearing, and it depends on how tomorrow goes for my Chiefs. Um, I know, I know there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of Bills fans here. I know there's a lot, I know, I know there's, no, there's more people from Ohio, so I'm, that's all I'm going to say about it. Um, so a long time ago, there was a, perhaps the most infamous golf match ever. Uh, it was between Moses, Jesus, and an older gentleman, older man. And so they're on a par three. Things are getting tight. They're getting toward the end of the round. And Moses goes to hit his tee shot, and it's headed straight for the water. It's just short of the green. He's going to go in the water. And right before it lands in the water, he takes his clubs and stick it out. And the water parts. It bounces off a rock and goes right onto the green. 
Pretty amazed. Jesus is second to tee off, so he steps up. He hits about the same shot, kind of tops it a little bit. Uh, and it looks like it's about to go in the water and it just starts skipping, like walking across the water. <laughs> Hops right up about two feet from the hole. Closer than Moses. Moses like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Old guy gets up, hits it. It's heading for the water, just like Moses, just like Jesus. As it's about to go in the water, a fish comes and swallows it. And as the fish is going down into the water, an eagle comes and grabs the fish and takes off with the fish. But as the eagle is flying over the green, lightning hits the eagle, killing the fish, killing the eagle. The ball falls out of the fish's mouth and rolls into the hole for a hole in one. <laughs> to which Moses turns to Jesus and he says, I hate playing golf with your dad. I tell you that for two reasons. First, golf is awesome. You learn a lot about somebody when you golf with them. But second, I love that because it doesn't matter how dark, doesn't matter how difficult, doesn't matter how seemingly hopeless things seem to be or can get, God always has a plan to get the ball in the hole. Even when it looks like there's no hope, even when it looks like there's no chance, if you've read any stories in the Bible, it's broken humans who most of the time have invited the problems into their own lives, but at some point chose to turn to God, and he is in the business of saving the lives of broken human beings. That's the best news ever. God is not in the news of getting people who have cleaned themselves up and then taking care of them. He saves broken human beings. And the Bible and human history is just story after story after story of humans who literally can't do it. And so God comes down and he makes a way when there was no way. He makes a way, he brings hope. He is a God of redemption. And if you read the Bible, it's just over and over from Genesis to Revelation and over and over. It is this beautiful story of redemption. And so how does this happen? Why? And, and is there anything that we can do to partner in it? Well, the answer is yes. Now, we're in Cape Coral, Florida. We're in one of the fastest growing towns, one of the fastest growing counties in America. And so I don't know if you've noticed, but there's construction everywhere. I'll tell you one place there's not construction, Cape Christian, and that needs to change soon enough. Like we're breaking ground this year, I'm telling you. Um, but uh, more on that in a, in a few weeks. But but man, there's construction everywhere. You can't drive anywhere. There's houses going up. There's lanes. I mean, between the hurricane and the growth, like I don't know what was already broken and what's newly broken, but it's just everywhere. It took my, my, my wife and daughter, it took them an hour and 45 minutes to get across the river one day this week because of construction and accident. It's crazy. And so we got construction everywhere. But what we learn, if, you, if you're a general contractor, and like half of you are apparently, um, well, you learn if you've ever bought a house, built a house, redeemed or, 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 or refurbished anything, is that not all construction is made equal, right? Yep. Yeah, there it is. There he is. And so I, was, I thought I'd have a little fun looking up some of the worst construction projects ever. And there's a lot of them. That's a fun Google search tonight, later, or whatever. Um, but perhaps one of, the, one of the, if not most epic, worst construction projects ever actually is more recent. It was in 2009 in China. Uh, and it was, it was the Lotus Riverside Block 7. And what it was is they were building these 13-story um, apartment buildings along the river. And they had built the, several of them. Uh, and the picture already gave away the punchline. Um, 
So in Shanghai, what happened was they had this building that got completely done. Um, they were about ready to have tenants move in and the entire 13 story building just tipped over and collapsed, just like this. Uh, one, there was one worker in there, he lost his life, um, but 13 stories. Now, what I find so interesting about this image, and again, you can find this on Google, is there wasn't like what you normally see with like an implosion. There wasn't like what you normally see with, it literally just fell over. And what they discovered was uh, previous to construction, they had tried to dig out an underground garage and it had been dung out and water from the river, if you can see there's a river right there, water in the river had seeped in and it made the foundation really muddy. So even though they had poured some, some, some standards and some foundation, you can see how much mud's there. Uh, literally, we would be sitting on the river and it just toppled over. The construction was great because there's a whole bunch of, go back to the other, there's a whole bunch of buildings just like that one all around it. But this one didn't make it. The other ones were fine. This one tipped over. This one created devastation. This one was full of destruction. This one was a disaster. Same builder, same materials, same people, different foundation. And so they lost this building and because of that, they lost it. And so we learn in construction early on that the foundation is the most important part of any building. Would you agree? Yep. The foundation. In fact, um, I live in Northwest Cape Coral and they are building houses like crazy and they're building one right next to us. And we watch houses pop up like crazy, but the house next door to us, it feels like they have been building it forever. Now, what I found out is the people who bought the lot are the ones who are general contractors who are actually building the house. I have a suspicion they're putting a little more TLC into this than maybe all the other houses they built. But go ahead and show the picture. Like, this is what the house next door, this is my house right next door to me. They just did this this week. My one and a half, almost two-year-old son loves mixers and excavators. It's like his dream. That's outside of his window. He gets to watch this. But we have watched, they've been working for months and there's not even a wall, a window, a roof. There's not a sink. There's not a couch. There's not a TV. There's no grill. There's no smoker. I mean, come on, what are we doing here? They have like spent so much time just on the foundation. In fact, we watch them put the walls in, then bring the dirt in, then flatten it out, and then put the concrete down. And now they're just getting to the point where they're getting to start to build. Because here's what anybody who's ever built a house in construction understands and knows, that nothing in the building ultimately matters if the original foundation is flawed. Because you can put up the nicest stuff, you can put the nicest stuff in it, you can make a million dollar home. But if the foundation is faulty, it's all coming down at some point. Doesn't matter if you have a gold sink, doesn't matter if you have a gold toilet that sprinkles gold water, it doesn't matter. Sinks that have Kool-Aid in them or whatever the case is. The problem is, is when the foundation is faulty, the whole building is suspect, the whole building is fragile. And now all of a sudden, you have like we saw with the building low to seven, you have time wasted, you have money wasted, and now you have to go back, clean up a giant mess and start over after doing all that work. You have to deal with destruction, you have to deal with the, the, uh, the depression, devastation. It is a huge mess. It is, and it is millions of dollars and, and time lost. That's a building. You wanna know what's way more valuable than a building? Your life. Our lives. Our lives are so much more valuable than any building. And it's one thing to try to rebuild a building, a 13-story building or a house. It's another thing entirely to try to rebuild a life. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
because some of you have great foundations and, and things are continuing to move in the right directions. Some of you have had to hit reset a couple of times because you've had to rebuild your life because there were some foundations that kind of compromised your entire structure, your entire, entire life. And rather than just put up a new frame or a new shutter or a new window, you had to redo the foundation. See, Jesus often spoke in pictures and metaphors so that we would remember. It's why we spend so much time doing creative stuff and being visual, because, because we want you to remember. And, and, and I want to actually end, we have one more week of this series, but I want to end, uh, or I want to spend time on what Jesus says at the very end of the greatest thing ever said, because next week is, is what he said is kind of packed in the middle, but it's really the application and a little bit of the how-to and the, and the what of what we're going to talk about this week. But he wraps up this greatest message ever, and he gives this picture of building and a foundation, but he's not talking about building a building. He's actually talking about building our lives. And this is simple. You might have heard this before, and I love that he's going to talk about the, the point isn't if you've heard this, but it's how are you doing? And so the question I want to ask, and I'll ask it again in about 20, 25 minutes when we wrap up, is what's the foundation of your life? What's the foundation? I'm not talking about what's your favorite wall. I'm not talking about what you decorate with it. I'm not talking about what color shingles you got. We all got new shingles now because of the hurricane or where they're coming sometime in the next four years. <laughs> so they tell us. Can't wait for that insurance check. What's your foundation? Because Jesus spends a lot of time, he talks a long time on this greatest speech ever. He goes through a lot of stuff. In fact, I'm gonna re recap it here in a minute. But after, I, after he says everything he says about how to live, here's what he concludes. Here's kind of his exclamation point. Here's his grand finale of this greatest speech ever said after he's exhausted the best of himself. Here's how he concludes in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. He says this. Now that I'm done with all that, everyone... Then, who hears these words of mine and does them. Somebody say, does them. Does them. Man, this service ready to go. <laughs> Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rain fell and the floods came, when weather came, when storms came, when Hurricane Ian hit, when the tornado came, when, the, when, when life got tough, when the worst things happened, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house. Nine hours, 140-mile-an-hour winds. But it didn't fall. It stayed up. Why? Because he had been founded on the rock. But he's going to contrast this next verse. He says, but anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Verse 27, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Probably a big understatement. Jesus contrasts two different houses, two different people. One built on the rock, one built on the sand. Same rain, same wind, same storms, same bankruptcy, same marital problems, same difficulty with children, same church they grew up in, same environment, same everything. The difference wasn't what the material was. The difference was the foundation. Come on, somebody. And he said, one, when it beat that house, it took its shot. But when the winds calmed down and the waters went away, the house was still standing. But the other one, it fell. And not only did it fall, great was the fall. What a great statement. 
It was devastating. It was depressing. It was a major setback. See, Jesus says these words on the back end of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm convinced if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be a Christian, if we were like, if you're like, oh, listen, Corey, I want to be a Christian, but I can only read three pages of the Bible. Ready, set, go. That's easy for me. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Because he lays out the kingdom. And he says, here's how it is. And then he says this. And in case you're not familiar with it, I make it a practice, try to read these words regularly. Here's, let me just give you a real quick synopsis of everything he had just covered uh, uh, so you don't have to go on your U version and read while I'm talking. He ends, the last thing he had actually talked about was self-deception. I love right before this, he's like, hey, don't deceive yourselves and think you know it, but you don't. He goes, in fact, some of you are so deceived, you call me Lord, but I don't really know you and you don't really know me. Jesus said it, not me. He actually pulls the whole message together. He starts with the Beatitudes about who's blessed. Then he talks about us being salt and light, which is the premise of this entire series. Then he talks about anger and how we're to deal with it. Then he talks about lust and what we're supposed to do with that. Then he has some words about marriage. Then he has some words about divorce. Then he talks about swearing and, and not cursing, um, that's another place, but pr promising and taking oaths. And basically he talks about the importance of us being a person of our word and not just trying to get ahead or, or, or look, for, uh, look for, you know, maybe um, loopholes. He talks about retaliation, about how we should live differently and retaliate differently, very differently than the way the rest of the world does. He actually spends some time talking about loving our enemies. He talks about how Jesus isn't impressed at all with our outward expression our outward religious expression with the heart of a person. That was our first week. He's really clear that I'm not as interested in your worship songs if things aren't good with you and the people in your life. That was week one of the series. And then he dials it in and he answers the question I think all of us are asking because his disciples are like, hey, we're terrible at praying. Can you teach us? He's like, yeah. And so he goes through it. And then he talks about storing up treasures in heaven. My friend Chris from California talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then he talked about how not to worry or stress and how God wants to provide for us. Pastor Brandon did a beautiful job talking about that last week. He talked about not judging others, worrying about ourselves. He talked about how we should seek God first for everything. And if we do that, he'll align the things in our life. He talks about the golden rule that you should treat people the way that you want them to treat you. And then he starts talking about false prophets and false Christians, which of course we're like, that could never be us. Oh, but it could. So he wraps all that, he goes into all of it. Because again, the whole thing is what? We're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world. And so he's like, if you're gonna be salt and you're gonna be light, let's make sure we're all on the same page here. Because sometimes some people mean different things when they say the same words, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so he goes through all of this and then he says this. So he's laid it out, money, sex, marriage, forgiveness, judgment, second chances. He lays it out and then he says this. We just read it. He says, anyone, after all that, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then he jumps a couple verses down to 26. He says, but anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, here's what's kind of interesting about this group. There's one thing they all had in common. Everybody heard it. Everybody heard it. Everybody was in the audience that day. But Jesus is making a distinction that hasn't changed in 2,000 years, that lots of people are going to hear this, but not everybody who hears it is actually going to do it. 
And he refers to somebody who does wise things they hear as wise. And he refers to somebody who doesn't do good things they hear as foolish. And so the question we would do well to ask ourselves is, are we wise or are we foolish? And here's what I love, and anybody in the audience would have known this and they would have understood this, and it, 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 I think you do too, is what he's doing is he's contrasting two houses, but as I kind of indicated a minute ago, both houses are the same. He doesn't say, well, one person built a shack over in, you know, northeast, but the other person built a mansion in the southwest. You know, like it's not, by the way, that was not intended to be directional. I just came up with that. Like, I don't know where you live. I don't need your emails. Like, I'm sure your house is great. Okay. Um, I, like, if you're online, we live in a town that's literally northeast. I did forgot that for a second. Um, but here's what Jesus is indicating. It's, it's the same thing. It's the two kids went and bought the same Lego box of house. They built the same house. It's the same house. Not only is he the same house, he's indicating that the builders are the same. Both people are the same. It's like Lotus Block 7, that, that, that apartment complex that looked like all the other ones, but the difference was it was, had a muddy foundation versus a firm foundation. What's the difference? The whole difference is the foundation. And everything else is the same. And this is a question that I think we have to wrestle with, but I don't know that we want to because it makes us ask some tough things and look at some things. And, and we're just not good in our culture about being honest with ourselves because it's just easier to go like, I'm good, bruh. Pastor, bruh, I'm good. But are we? What's your foundation? Is Jesus anywhere in your house? And if so, is he the foundation? Or is he a wall? Some of us, we, we, we call ourselves Christians. You don't want to hear me say this. But we got a couple two-by-fours and a little strip of drywall, and that's our Jesus part of the house. And that's great. And I bet if a storm comes, that little piece of drywall makes it. <laughs> but that sucks for the rest of your house. Jesus isn't, want, and, and, and there's no shame in this, but I want you to hear this. Jesus isn't asking, and he's not, he's not recommending that he be um, a decoration on the wall. Uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord picture over the kitchen table. A couple of a drywall. Like, oh, that's, hey, that's the Jesus wing. <laughs> Those are the, that, hey, oh, look at this. Oh, look right, right there. I got my Larry Cable guy. Look down, down there right there. We got our Jesus shutters. Aren't they pretty? Everybody sees my Jesus shutters. When they walk in, put them in the front door. Hey, what's in the back? Oh, we don't talk about that. Thank you. Somebody got that. I was going to leave this right here. And Jesus isn't condemning anyone. He's so clear I didn't come to condemn, but he's, he's, he's letting us know, and he says this so many times, following me is kind of a full-time thing. It's kind of an all-in thing. It's kind of an all-or-nothing thing. Like the rest of the world, like, yeah, take it or leave it, a la carte buffet. But he's like, either I'm your foundation or I'm not. And, and it's not like, he's not like going like, man, like there's something wrong. He's just saying, here's what he's saying. Storms are coming. Storms are coming. Financial storms are coming. Social storms are coming. Relational storms are, storms are coming with your kids. Storms are coming with your, your spouse. Storms are coming with your boss. Storms are coming in the clouds. We live in Florida. We know about storms. It storms every day for like seven months. He says, storms are coming. He goes, I'm just telling you, I created this whole thing. And I know the only way you're going to make it is if I'm your foundation. Because that's how it's meant to be. We know this, right? Because you, you go to sand, we have beaches everywhere. You build a sand castle, right? You build, it doesn't matter how awesome the sand castle is, right? What happens the first time the wave comes in? Pfft, done. Start over. Kids cry. It's hilarious. 
Just tell them start over. Buy yourself two more hours. But you have some rocks at the base of that sandcastle, right? Wave comes in, psh, castle's gone. What happens to the rocks? Nothing. Maybe sand moves around them a little bit, but they stay. Why? Because the foundation. See, when the weather hits, the foundation is always tested. And, and it's why I, I never wanted this to be true, but it is. I was told this by my pastors and my mentors and my parents, and it is that you really find out what's inside when you get shaken up. You really found out what your foundation is when, when life gets tough. Anybody can praise God and be blessed when things are good. But can you, we have a song we used to sing called Praise Him in the Storm. It was kind of birthed out of this scripture. When the, found, when the weather hits, the foundation is tested. And so what's interesting is he kind of talks and he, he kind of goes in on this hearing versus listening. He says, everybody hears. And, and, and he's saying, a lot of people are gonna hear this. And there's a lot of people in that group, but he's saying, there's a different group that not only hears, but listens. There's a lot less in this group. Because when you hear, it's just like somebody's making noise somewhere. But when you're listening, there's a desire to understand. I do, I've done enough marriage counseling and had my own issues. Like, with like, I love to ask fellas, like, fellas, did you just hear her or were you listening? <laughs> now, ladies, if you would just say what you mean, it would be a lot easier for us. <laughs> but she said she was fine. That's what you heard. Were you listening? <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, no, it's not fine. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we have an XO marriage conference in two weeks that you need to come to. But he says, the wise person doesn't just hear, they listen. And this is, this is what he says. Here's what, here's what the, 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 the distinction that Jesus is making. A wise person doesn't already think they know everything. And so they're seeking out more understanding. I want to I listen again. Oh, I've read that before. Ooh, that's foolish. I've heard that before. I've read that scripture before. I've heard this sermon before. Ooh, that's great. But are you listening? I, what else can I gain from this? Hungry dogs eat. So I was taught, hungry dogs eat. What does that mean? When I come hungry, I eat. There's always something. There's always meat on that bone when Jesus is talking, when the word of God is involved. Yes. The wise person listens. And then he says, there's even another group. says the people who hear it and then put it into practice. He's like, that's a small group. It's a small group. So I'm going to make three quick observations because we have a couple of minutes left. Just three quick observations from this. Jesus is talking about not a foundation of a building. He's not talking about Lotus Block 7 in China, Shanghai, 2009. He's talking about our lives because, see, Jesus loves you more than you love yourself. Jesus loves you more than you know. Jesus loves you enough to create you a one in a, a 16 billion. You are, there's none like. He loves you and he wants good things for you, even in your brokenness and even here on this broken earth. And he can make that happen. Uh, and again, like I told the golf joke, but he knows how to take seemingly devastating situations and make something of it. What's the difference? Ah, the difference is where your foundation is. See, the Bible, those stories of redemption that th throughout the Bible and throughout history, you'll start to find a common thread that, that, that God, his word, his statutes, his commandments, his temple, his presence, those were the foundation. And even though the rest of the building looked pretty bad most of the time, the foundation was at least on God. And so three observations real quick, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. I wanna show you several scripture just to kind of like feed your soul on this. And so the first one is the wise person listens. The wise person listens. The foundation is built with great care and attention to detail. A wise person is listening, is seeking advice. Uh, Proverbs is uh, known as the, the book of wisdom, and you can't go more than about five or six chapters where the author doesn't say something along the effects of, uh, you should always be seeking the counsel of other wise people. It's some form of that. 
Uh, James 1.19, the brother of Jesus, we talked about this a few months ago, says, take note of this, my brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Proverbs 12 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Like that's <laughs> Proverbs. But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people or a nation falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. I live by that. It's the only reason I have, we haven't blown this whole place up in my five years here. I got smarter people than me around me. Because we got crazy ideas. You think I'm lying, I'm not lying. <laughs> How many times elephants and helicopters and airplanes have been involved in the original creative meeting is, is probably not healthy. We did the goat thing. That was the first Easter. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. You know what? I found something, and I'm working on it. The wisest person in the room usually speaks the least and almost always speaks last. Even if they do speak, they usually let the fools air out their laundry first. A foolish person doesn't listen. And Jesus is exhorting us not just to listen because there's all kinds of information, right? He wrote this before the information age. Listen what? Specifically, listen to Jesus's words, not the counsel of the world. So number one, the wise person, if you want to have a good foundation, you listen. The second observation I make is the wise person then applies the wisdom. Jesus said these two things. He who hears these words and does them. All the time, my parents like, clean your room, take out the trash, stop hitting your brother, all the stuff. Our answer was always the same. I know. My parents' response was also always the same. Well, if you know, then why are you doing it? We were fools. We heard them. But we weren't listening. We didn't apply the wisdom. No one goes in and does all the CAD and drawings and the engineering of a building and goes, we need this and we need this land and it needs to be this height and we need this much construction and it's gonna be this much. Nobody does that and be like, now that we got the plans, let's just wing it. <laughs> Nobody does that. No, you actually apply what you know. It, it's like, um, I believe it was Francis Chan, maybe somebody like that who talked about, we just need to live like the, we're playing a lifelong game of Simon Says. Y'all remember Simon Says? Simon Says, touch your ears. Simon Says, touch your nose. Simon Says, touch your knees. Now touch your mouth. Like that would get every time, right? Like, but instead of Simon Says, Jesus Says. Right? Simon, Jesus Says, take one step. Yes, sir. Jesus Says, don't retaliate like the world does. But, 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 okay. Jesus Says, love your enemies. You know what they said to me? Okay. Jesus Says, shut up. But I got stuff to say. See, Jesus, the problem with us following Jesus isn't like, yeah, Jesus wasn't very clear. I don't know. <laughs> it's that we don't do it. And now we think we've outsmarted ourselves. We're like, actually, Jesus, now there's all these new interpretations of the Bible like it changed in the last 20 years. Like we got smart. We should just do what Jesus says. Let me help some of us. It doesn't matter what title you put on yourself. It doesn't matter what church you attend, how often you attend. It doesn't matter a small group. Obedience to Christ is truly what identifies us as Christians. Amen. Trust and obey. We need to become obedient people. If you are obedient, uh, the Bible's full of these. Let me rip through some of these. James 1, 
also, the brother of Jesus, a couple of verses later, says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and go after looking at himself, goes away and forgets what he looks like. Jeremiah the prophet, early on in the Old Testament, chapter 11, verse 6 says, hear the words of the covenant and do them. Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? We could probably just like hang it up there. Why do you keep doing this if you don't do what I say? I told you about sex and sexuality. I told you about generosity. I told you about forgiveness. I told you, but we don't want it to be true. We don't want to hear it. So we try to make it mean something else we want it to mean. It's clear. Third observation as we wrap up. The wise person has the rock for the foundation. The rock. Now I love what it doesn't say, built his house on the rocks. It actually says the rock. Now we're not talking about Dwayne Johnson. This wasn't a prophecy. He's talking about Jesus. Paul in Ephesians 2 says, together at, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone, the rock, is Christ himself. We are carefully joined together with him becoming a holy temple of the Lord. Psalms 18.2 says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Psalm 95.1 says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 78.35 says, they remembered that God was their rock. I love this verse. I picture a group of people going like, let's just build it how everybody else is building it. And oh, well, that's not going to work. And it's, all of a sudden they came to their senses and like, wait, they remembered. I love that verse because they were headed the wrong direction. They were listening to stupid fools. They were building their foundation on muddy and, and they remembered and God pulled them back. I love that. It's so hopeful. It's like, hey, you might've missed it. You might've blown it. You might've got it wrong one time. You might've had the wrong drywall. You might've you might been trying to do what everybody else is doing, but you can stop and remember. He, they remembered that God was their rock, their most high redeemer. So what does it mean to have Jesus as your foundation? Well, again, this is kind of why you got to come next week because it's kind of a two-parter. But let me just give you the baseline of it. It just means simply that Jesus is the center of your life. He's the center. I think it was Israel Hooten said, Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it have always been, it'll always be you, Jesus. Man, if we had a black choir, it would be off right now. <laughs> Gosh, dang it. And if I could sing, it'd be off. If I could, Josh! No, I'm just <laughs> Hey, Josh, if you know that song, come out here. He's the center of your life. Can I, can I tell you what I was taught when I was three? And you know what? The older I get, I find myself going back to the simplest truths I learned in kids' church. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Hey, you know Jesus at the center? Yeah, you know. Get up. You, know you know Israel? Jesus at the center of it all. Boy, you don't better not tell your mama you don't know that song. Get back in that green room. We're all work in progress. Unfortunately, you're stuck with me. I know that song. Trust and obey. What does it mean to have Jesus as your foundation? It just means Jesus and his commands are the foundations we build our life on. So how's your foundation? What is your foundation? Do you have, all joking aside, have you kind of deceived yourself? That was the last thing Jesus said before he went into this about self-deception. 
Have you kind of deceived yourself? Like, yeah, we got it going on. And really, you just have a couple Jesus shutters. Maybe you got, you got like, a, you got like the, the south drywall. The south drywall is Jesus. But the east and the north and the rest of it, uh, we kind of did that the way the world said to do it. We got a Jesus window. It's, it's hurricane proof. Cat five. See, Jesus is saying, you got to go all in. And some of you lovingly, me and Jesus are kind of helping you understand why do, why do you kind of keep getting yourself in the same cycle? Because you'll give him a chance, but you're not making him the foundation. It's in his word. It's in his presence. It's in his fellowship. Coming to church isn't the thing you check off to do my religious duty. It's like, hey, storms are coming. And listen, I, we don't, I'm going to convince you we live in Cape Coral. The world knows about us because of what happened on September 29th. And we all built on sand. We had no choice. <laughs> right? Some of us. But found, we get this. But what's your life foundation? When I think of this, I think of my grandma. My grandma Marie went to be with Jesus when she was 91. More full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full of love than anybody I've ever seen and known in my life. She's the reason probably all three, four generations of us are, are saved I mean, unbelievable. We believe she prayed my, God, my dad out of prison into salvation, the crazy stuff. I remember she was getting older. My grandpa died early on. She was without him about 25 years. Um, and she would always just, you know, just everything that came out of her was just Jesus. He was her everything, the center of her life, her foundation. And I remember when, when she was older, she, they told her that she had cancer. And, and that's a real serious thing. Within a second, here was her response. They told her, you know, Miss Marie, we have some bad news for you. You have cancer. Oh, that's just a word, honey. That was her response. Cancer is just a word. Jesus is all I need. She said, she said, if this is how I'm going to go, it's how I'm going to go. She would have to go in for some, some treatment and chemo, radiation, all that stuff. And every day we would see her talk to her. She talks to me, how are you doing? She's like, well, I got another appointment. That must mean there's somebody at the hospital I'm supposed to pray for today. There must be some nurse I'm supposed to bless. I'm telling you guys, she would do it. They would, she'd be in a bed and they would come into her room and before they could ask you, oh, honey, how are you doing today? How can I pray for you? Yes. She, they were like, ma'am, we're supposed to help you. I know that, but I know I'm supposed to be here. Maybe you're supposed to be here too. Do you need me to pray for you? She'd lay hands on people. She led nurses and doctors to Jesus. She gave hope to hopeless people. And she's like, you know what? I'm ready to go be with Jesus, but as long as I'm here, he's got somebody for me to love on and tell him about today. Like, that's, that's what it looks like to have your life built on the rock. She was unmoved because of her foundation in Jesus. And I am one of the most blessed people on the planet because that is my spiritual inheritance. That's our spiritual legacy. It was her husband, my grandpa, who said, he believed that the word for our family that now is four generations old is you can serve whoever you want. Choose this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're a hundred some years into that four generations deep and we don't plan on stopping because storms are coming. And I'm so grateful that I have parents and a grandparents that showed me what it looked like when the foundation comes. So when the business goes under, when cancer comes or when things get rough, it's like Jesus is it. His words, his, his, his presence can be enough. It doesn't mean it's awesome, but it can be more than enough. It's what, this is what the picture, I want to show you that picture, house on a rock. There are pictures like this all over the world. Why? Why is that there? Because that's what a house on a rock looks like. And that's just a rock. It's not the rock. I show you that picture and it makes me think of 
Psalm 62, 6, talking about God, says, He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. So, close with this thought. What's your foundation? I'm not asking, do you go to Cape Christian? I'm not asking, do you call yourself a Christian? I'm not asking what church you came from. I'm not asking what, hanging on the ceiling wall, what she, you got, is Jesus the foundation? Is it his life, his word, his commands? Is there something you're missing out on? Is there a storm that God is knowing that is coming, that he wants to prepare you for, that he wants you to weather if you will make him your foundation in this moment? Maybe we're like, we read in Psalm 73, like we were headed the wrong direction, but we remembered that Jesus should be the foundation. Not about religious activities. It's about him and his presence. What's your foundation? Is it your marriage? Is it your 401k? Is it some future hopes and dreams? If I, one day I get this, then it'll all be good, or is it Jesus? Because when your foundation is wrong and that building tips over, we said destruction, depression, devastation, a huge mess, time lost, money lost, emotion lost, relationships lost. But the good news we said at the beginning is the story of the Bible and the story of humanity is God saving the lives of broken humans over and over and over and over where there is no way he makes a way when we make him our foundation. Amen. That's the good news if you ask me. So if you have maybe had Jesus somewhere else and you know that you need to make Jesus your foundation. I just want to pray for you. I would love, if it's the first time you're making that decision, for you to text the word Cape Yes to 94000. We want to help you walk this journey. But it just starts with a decision. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to clean yourself up. You just simply have to say, I need a better foundation. And it starts with inviting him to be the center of your life. And so I'm just going to lead us in a very simple prayer. And, as, and then we have all kinds of groups and conferences and Bible studies and programs that help you grow in that. But it starts with going, I want to get my foundation right. And I want to give everybody an opportunity to not just have a couple shingles, a wall, but I want you to have your foundation in Jesus. And so if that's you today, and you're like, man, I need this. I need to put a new foundation. I would love it before you left if you would text the word KPS to 94000. We're just going to send you a video. We want to help you. I'm gonna pray and then dismiss. When I'm done praying, if you need some stuff you just need got going on in your life, you need prayer for, there's a ministry team right there in your prayer room. If you're online, there's a, there's a prayer team right there that'll pray with you as well. But I just wanna invite you, wherever you're at, just to say this simple prayer with me. I know some of you, this is for you, so we're all gonna pray this together because nobody prays alone here at Cape Christian. So we join me in this prayer? How about we stand as we close? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. I want you, Jesus, to be my foundation. I don't want to just have a wall. I don't want to have a window, a shingle. I want you as my foundation. Give me your spirit. Make me new. Wipe me clean of all my mistakes. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. I want you to be the center of my life. Now teach me how to walk this out. By your grace, thank you that you're never done with me. In Jesus' name, amen.